This is an infatuation side dish, a smaller version of our normal pod where we talk about Asian things we love. This is Curtis, and on today's mini-episode, we're going to be talking about the past and present of Asians in baseball. Alright, hey everyone, how's it going out there? Welcome to Side Dish number 4. On today's episode, we're going to take a little break from Eternals, give people a chance to to get to the theater and watch it before we spoil it on next week's podcast. So today we're doing a little episode on baseball. Um, I know, <laughs> we were just talking about this. may not be everyone's favorite, but we love it, so we're going to talk about it. I'm sure some of you do out there. My favorite team is the San Francisco Giants, of course, so this might be a little biased. Though we'll, we might have to talk about a couple Dodgers and a couple Angels and Yankees here and there, but uh, it's it's my favorite sport to watch professionally. And I know I'm not alone. There are tons of people out there, uh, not just in America, but all over the world. So that's why baseball is popular amongst uh, Asians and whatnot. So that kind of gave me the idea to do this episode because one of the reasons we are talking about it right now is because we're in the World Series. And so we're waiting to see Game 6. Unfortunately, the San Francisco Giants are not in this uh, World Series, but uh, it's going along. So I need someone to talk with me about this. So coming along for the ride today is longtime friend and even longer baseball fan. We have Justin. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. It's an honor to be on a podcast. Yeah, but why is this called a side dish? Isn't it a main dish? I mean, what's your demographic for this podcast anyways? Yeah, well, (laughs) okay, so the side dish doesn't mean the topic is not important. What it means is normally we do two episodes per topic. So like, for example, we do a K-drama one, we'll do two weeks on it. And ah. I think we could have talked for two weeks on baseball, but I was afraid we might lose people. So we're only going to do one week on this topic, but we'll see. Well, and I'm a lot older than you. I mean, you know, it's uh, baseball is getting a reputation for being an older sport yeah. now. So yeah. it's a little discouraging sometimes. Well, this year was kind of good because the the team was good. So, you know, I work with high schoolers. So some of them were getting into it again. You know, it brought back some memories of the... 2010s a little bit around the bay area where baseball was good for us but uh yeah well i turned 50 this year justin so i'm in the club <laughs> so you're getting, you're getting you're getting the uh, aarp uh, mailers and you know it i'm getting it like monthly i'm getting the invitation and my membership cards yeah so uh <laughs> i hope it doesn't die out but uh, i know it's died a little bit with younger folks but uh but yeah i think there's still some kids who love it so Hopefully, we don't lose everyone in this podcast. <laughs> I hope not. All right. So if you're out there and you don't love baseball, hopefully we'll entertain you, at least with our chatter on it. We we may get into some stats here and there, and um, we may explain it here and there, but we may just, if it goes over your head, you know, sorry about that. But baseball is a game of stats, which is one of the reasons we love it. And it's also a game of history, a long history, you know, hundred over 100 years of history, and that's why a lot of people love it, because the stats go way back. And it's just kind of fun to to look at these numbers. I had a good time doing some research for this, so hopefully you out there will enjoy it as well. But uh, let's do a question for you, Justin, uh, just to get the audience familiar with you a little bit. How did you get into baseball? Uh, watching or playing or whatnot? Well, it's pretty typical. I mean, uh, my dad introduced me to sports and baseball 
in particular. You know, he came over from China in the uh, late 50s uh, to San Francisco, and um, that's when the San Francisco Giants moved in, right? And so he never really talked about it, but um, I'm pretty sure he got caught up in the enthusiasm of the of the of the team coming from New York to San Francisco. And uh, you probably, as a Giants fan, you probably seen pictures of the parade with Willie Mays and the, the entrance. And he talked about going to um, Seals Stadium mm, yeah. to watch a game. So anyways, I, I get born a little bit later, of course. And I grew up in the early 70s. And, uh, and baseball was still the most popular sport back then. You know, well, you hit 50, so you remember the world before computers <laughs> and video games took over and the video on demand, you know, back when I was growing up, you know, you couldn't even watch TV. I mean, you had a shared TV among the entire family. There's like three channels and that was it. So, you know, you had to go out and play, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. my dad, being a good dad, you know, he'd take us out to the park. And, uh, and actually, you know, it's funny because baseball, you would think, is still the easiest game for a small five-year-old, six-year-old like myself to pick up. All right. You, know, you get a first grader, you go out and you, you get that guy trying to, um, or girl, trying to hit a free throw. It's actually pretty difficult. You know, they, they, you go to elementary school and the, the, the hoops are still regulation size, but you know, one of the first motor skills that you teach your kid is to throw a ball and to catch a ball. And the baseball is the smallest ball. It's the cheapest ball. And so we would play catch. Yeah, yeah. You know. No, I totally remember that. Yeah, just playing on the blacktop with a tennis ball. We actually, we had a little bat, you know, or sometimes you use a wiffle ball and a wiffle bat. But, yeah, and, and the thing about baseball uh, in in the city back then was you could get a ticket to Candlestick Park for a buck. Two bucks. Or you jump the fence. Not to say that. Not that I said. Not to say that I did that. But um, it could be done. It could be done. Yeah, one of my favorite memories was you know they'd have bat day or helmet day, and my dad would get us a ticket for the bleachers for a buck or two bucks, and we'd go in and we'd sit down, and then he'd give me another two bucks, and I'd go out and buy another ticket so I can get another helmet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, two dollars was was quite a bit of money there back then. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, my first game, and of course, this is Candlestick. I know because you know I think they eliminated bat days. Um, right. The last ones were right. That was a real bat. I mean, it was real wood, right? Yeah, 30, 32 inches. I yeah, don't think was... it was cheap. But yeah, um, yeah my first game. Uh, unfortunately, the Giants were actually good in the early seventies. Um, yeah, they made the playoffs. Years. Yeah, you know, I um, for for young people. You know, you see the statues outside of, I guess it's called Oracle Park now, right? You've got Willie Mays out there and you got Juan Marichal and you see these statues. But, you know, I, I was young enough to actually see them play in person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my first game, I remember it, um, I think it was 1970. It was, a, of course, you know, being Asian dad, right? You're cheap. So you're looking for the best value. <laughs> they had things like called double headers back then. Right. Two games for one. Yeah, none yeah. of this day-night stuff, too. You just stay all day. You just stay, yeah. <laughs> yeah it starts, like, at uh, noon on a Sunday, and you just stay until... Well, the games were a lot quicker back then. Yeah, so we were yeah, out of there at uh, 5.30, I believe. And it was a doubleheader. And I remember... I could tell you exactly everybody in the starting lineup without a doubt. And uh, two Hall of Famers starting pitchers for the Giants. Juan Marichal, who was uh, my early hero, and Gaylord Perry. Wow. And of course, we lost both games. 
That was typical. They, I mean, they had some good years, but they had a lot of bad years. <laughs> well, you know, you, you, I mean, baseball um, is a humbling sport. And, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about it. I mean, it basically, it, it, especially with those early Giants uh, Giants in the 70s who were not very good. Let's, let's be real about that. It, it, it teaches you how to lose, actually. You know, yeah. and, you know, they, like they say, you know, the, the best hitters fail 70% of the time. Yeah. So um, yeah. there's that. But, um, you know, what, what you talked about that history, I mean, it, you know, for me, baseball is just one of these things where you connect generations. I mean, it has the longest history. It feels like the, the sport hasn't really changed, you know, since the 20s or 30s. I mean, you can still recognize it. And, the essence of it. Yeah. yeah and the numbers kind of help it. It kind of, kind of, even though, you know, we can, debate and talk about you know how many home runs so and so hit and and so on and so forth it it, it really helps yeah. connect um different generations together so that's yeah. that's what i love about it yeah no and you're a numbers guy right you like the numbers <laughs> well asians love numbers i mean <laughs> you know statistics uh, uh, i mean my <laughs> my major in college was math and statistics so you know yeah it's trained early in life and now it's it's bigger it's the bigger part of the game than ever right now with you know sabermetrics and all the the numbers and maybe to a fault you know something well it's debatable but yeah, it, yeah. It, but it is interesting I mean to 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 get a bunch of nerds in the front office making decisions now not necessarily baseball guys by training but more like math and data guys making some decisions it's interesting times right now even here in the Giants. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, uh, you got a favorite baseball memory? Well, I think we have have a shared memory here, but um, I don't you, you well, know. Mine was on TV. Yours was on TV. <laughs> you want to talk about that now? I mean. No, no. You wanna, yeah, why don't you jump in with your story? I think it's a cool story. Okay. So, might as well, since we're going to lose the audience anyways, might as well talk about the, <laughs> the best stuff. They're, they're already gone, Justin. We, we lost them <laughs> three minutes ago. <laughs> If you're thinking about if you're thinking about Asians, especially with San Francisco Giants, you know the one name that definitely pops up is Travis Ishikawa, and of course it's around now. I mean, about a week or two ago was the, the anniversary right. of the uh, Travis Ishikawa seven years ago walk off home run game five um, in the uh, national National League Championship Series. I had the privilege of going to that game. I actually went to Game right. Four and Game Five. And so I, I mixed them both up because I think game four was also a sensational game. Who was it? Who was that guy in the Cardinals that the left-handed side armor, Pat Deshack or something like that? He, yeah, he, yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, he 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 kind of got the brunt of it. Uh, he, he didn't have a very good series there for game four and game five. But game five. But, he, but during during the season, he was unhittable, though. He was untouched. Right. You, you might actually remember uh, more of the the details of game five I'm, I'm starting to lose it a little bit because the highlight of course was uh ishikawa coming up right i think the game was tied yeah yeah i think it was tied yeah or... i don't think it was i don't think we were down we were tied i remember mike moore sitting a home run too in that game mm-hmm. um and so we're sitting there um and ishikawa comes up and the, the stadium's going crazy of course I mean, it's right, like cause... loud. I'm, I'm sitting upstairs, you know, the, in the value seats um, in the right field. So, and uh, uh, my wife was with me and two very good friends uh, that I invited. 
who owe me big time, by the way, because I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I brought them to the game uh, on me. But yeah. so I had four tickets. We sat up there. At least they gave me a, a sandwich. But um, <laughs> we're sitting up there. Ishikawa comes up, and then boom, all the way right field. And I'm looking at it. You know, as soon as he hit it, it was enough to score the run. Right. All we needed was a sacrifice yeah. fly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sacrifice fly, the game, game's over, right? But the, the ball is bottom. Yeah, down. the ball yeah, yeah. the ball sails over the fence. The crowd is going crazy. Um, the fireworks start going off and you know, the the, the team comes out and uh, just pours out in the field, jumping up and down. I mean, there's nothing more exciting than a walk off um Yeah. At home. Walk off win home, at home. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was yeah. great. Now the scratch. Here it comes. Swing it. There's a drive deep into right field. Way back there. Goodbye. A home run for the game and for the pennant. The Giants have won the pennant. And Travis Ishikawa is being clobbered by his teammates as he comes down the third base line and he is mobbed at home plate. Travis Ishikawa with the Bobby Thompson moment. A walk-off home run to win the National League pennant for the unlikely Giants left fielder for the biggest games here in 2014. And just just a little background for people who don't know, I wouldn't I wouldn't surprise me if you don't know who Travis Ichikawa is if you're not a Giants fan. But uh, Japanese American, he's Hapa. I think he's half. Kind of a nobody. Like he, he kind of he'd been with the team before, and he's kind of a good defensive first baseman. Not known for his hitting, real per se. One of the more unlikely heroes of of a baseball team. Like people didn't have high hopes because there are two two men on. I think well, I mean, you know, if you remember Bochi. Who's, uh, I know we got in, <laughs> we have to educate the, the non baseball fans out here. Bruce Bochy was the manager of the, the San Francisco Giants, but um, he puts Travis Ishikawa in left field that that series, right? And that yeah. was that was something that he was not very good at. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> yeah. how that's how desperate the, the the Giants were for I guess left handed bats, right? They had to put yeah. Travis out yeah. there, and but he you know he has a real good underdog story. Right, as you say, I mean, he he was what you call a four A player, right? You know, it's just just right. too good for for minor leagues, but not quite good enough to stick in the major leagues. Yeah, and uh, he had a lot of struggles. So he and and you know what, what was special about him is he was kind of spent a lot of time in the Bay Area as well. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he wasn't a kid. You know, he'd been he's thirty something probably at that time, right? And so he'd traveled around and played in the minor leagues for a long time. So to double down on that memory, um, I had the double privilege of being able to meet Travis Ishikawa in person right after the World Series. And a big shout out to uh, my my buddies, uh, Dino Piazza in particular, over at Coliseum Pizza in Milpitas. So I was a regular at this pizza parlor. It's really close to where I I work. And uh, I I, I just on... on, on a chance, I go to the pizza parlor for lunch, and Dino sets me aside. Hey, you know, I know you're a big San Francisco Giants fan. Um, if you come back later tonight, Travis Ishikawa is coming. And I'm going, <laughs> wait a minute, you know, Travis Ishikawa. I just saw him in Game <laughs> Seven of the World Series. This is before the parade, Curtis. Right. <laughs> so um, I'm thinking he's still in Kansas City, and, and Dino is a real good guy, so I trust him. We got to be 
you know, friend, friendly. Um, turns out that his ex-wife, well, it was his wife at the time, um, worked at the same hair salon in San Jose as Travis Ishikawa's wife, right? <laughs> Travis spent a lot of time with the San Jose Giants, apparently. Right, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And he met his wife um, in a in a uh, hair parlor or something along those lines. I don't know where they met. Maybe I've gotten those. Maybe I've embellished that. But anyways, um, so I ditched my carpool partner, and I knew it was going to take me about three hours of time to get back <laughs> from San Jose to, to San Francisco um, on public transportation. But I had to, I had to get a chance yeah, to meet dude. Travis in Chicago. So we, we had no idea when he was going to come. You know, uh-huh. it, it could be that he, you know, stood us up. So I'm, I'm sitting there by myself like a dummy for like about an hour at the pizza parlor. <laughs> And uh, sure enough, here he comes. Travis Chicago comes in. Man. And he looks dead tired because he was just on a flight, you know, from Kansas City. Just a red eye. And um, he loved the pizza. That's why he wanted to go there. And uh, I have a picture with him. And I asked him, I mean, straight up, Travis, do you think that ball um, was going over the fence? You know? And, he's, uh-huh. and he said, nah, nah, I didn't think so. <laughs> he was surprised. Uh-huh. He was surprised as anybody that went over the fence or over the wall. That that is such a good story. That is such a good story. Uh, and do you remember they were telling some stories about them in the outfield, and Hunter Pence came over to him like they got the third out in the bottom, uh, top of the ninth, and I think Hunter Pence said something to Travis like "You're going to do something," like something like that. Some uh, maybe it's apocryphal now, you know. Maybe it's just, like a legendary story, but I I think he said something that Hunter Pence pe- pepped him up. Like you're gonna come up this inning and something's gonna happen, you know. Like get your head, get your head ready for something big. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. That's uh, a, that's definitely a hundred pence type of thing, right? Yeah. He's always, yeah, yeah. you know, like he's probably always looking ahead and seeing who's going to be coming up and giving them a pep yeah. talk. He probably does that every every game. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we all need a hundred pence in our life, man. We need. Some. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> need a need a preacher. Yeah. All right, cool story, man. That that's a double. That's a double cool story. Um, but yeah, so we are, we are just kind of hanging out waiting for game six of the world series and, and this is also award season. So that's why this kind of came to mind to do this podcast during world series. Also during the award season, because I'm sure you've all heard the name Shohei Otani. He is poised. I I think, I think is a lock, right? For AL MVP. He's gotta be a lock. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he is. Um, Japanese-born player Shohei Otani will probably get the American League MVP, Most Valuable Player, in a week or two. Probably right when this podcast comes out. So that'll be um, that'll be a big deal, and we'll talk about why uh, a little later in this podcast. But he is amazing, and he is unique, and so I wanted to do an episode on Asians in baseball. And I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know that this went so far back, uh, Japanese players in America. I didn't know how far this went back. We'll get into the history a little later. So hopefully uh, you'll learn a little something here because I learned a lot by just doing the research for this. Okay, so we're talking about Asian baseball. So we're, we'll mention you know Travis Ichikan, Asian-American, uh, Shohei Otani, Asian-born Japanese player in America. Um, but first... Let's do a little trivia. Let's do a little trivia. And I didn't have the answers here, Justin, so you're going to have to work a little bit for these. All right. So uh, 
Don't worry, we're not trying to embarrass anyone out there, so we are uh, just trying to have fun. All right, question number one. Audience, play along. Audience, if you're out there, play along. All right, so most people cite that Masanori Murakami was the first Asian-born player to play in the MLB, Um, and it was for our San Francisco Giants. Do you know what year that was? What year did Masanori Murakami play for the SF Giants? Give the audience time to think. What do you think, Justin? Well, you got guess? the late 60s, so let me go with 1967. Ooh, you're close. Oh. A little earlier, earlier than that, 1964. Okay. So they had been here for about 10 years. Giants have been here for about 10 years in the West Coast. 64, that, that's earlier than I would have thought, too. Um, you know, because we didn't see a, another Asian for years and years. So that was quite early. And there's a funny story. with I will share his story later. He has a really interesting story. All right. And there's actually an alternate answer to that I'll get to when we get to our Asians being awesome segment. But... Okay, question number two. You're real close on that one. I'll give you a B-plus on that one, Jason. You're real close. (laughs) All right. So this one may seem obvious, but it may not be an obvious answer. Which Asian-born player has the most career home runs in the MLB? The most career home runs, Asian. Mm Mm-hmm. So not not including the Japan Japan numbers. Right, 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 right. right. Okay, well, let's see. Um... I want to say it's power hitter. Mm-hmm. Maybe steroid era. I'm going to go with Hideki Matsui. <laughs> that would have been my guess, but it's not. No. Korean born Shinsu Chu, 218. Wow. Yeah, he's he's not a flashy player that jumps out at you like, oh man, that's a power hitter. But he was had a long career. He had a longer career than Matsui. Uh, 218. Uh, Matsui hit 176. Of course, he hit more in Japan too. If you added all that up together, right? Um, and Ichiro 117. So, Sinshu. I thought he would have been a good giant. I thought he would have been someone that we could have gotten to play out in the field. You know, because he's not a pure power hitter. But uh, anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about him. But he was real good. And he just retired, right? Is he still playing, or is he? I don't know. I mean, he, he spent so much time in the American League. I don't. I spend a lot more time in the National League. Uh, yeah, with the Giants, we don't see him. So, yeah, we don't yeah. see him that much. Yeah, but that was a shocker to me. I, I just learned that too because I would have guessed Hideki Matsui easily. But yeah, all right. This is another maybe tricky question. Ichiro Suzuki has the most stolen bases by any Asian-born player with five hundred nine, and those are only in the ones in America. Do you know who has the second most with 243? 243. Okay. Uh, That's a big number. Yeah, it is. Okay. 243. This is kind of a trick question, too. Trick question? (laughs) Um... All right. Well, he's hint, he's a manager in the MLB right now. Hint, I'm a manager in the MLB. Asian? Maybe half Asian. No. Uh, the team we hate, Justin. Oh, Dave Roberts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? You wouldn't think Dave Roberts is Asian, but he's uh he's born in Japan. Born in Japan, uh Japanese mother. 
but yeah, 243. So he had a, he had a good career. I don't know. I, I actually didn't know he was Asian for a long time. And then, yeah, he, he's still in the league as a manager, a guy we love to hate, even though he played for the Giants, a guy we love to hate around here. Yeah. But 243. Well, that was tricky. I, I tricked you too many times on that one, but, uh, Gave it a good effort, Justin. Gave Thank you. Effort. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to do a little history. I think this is super fascinating, and I think you're going to like this trivia, too, because this is super fascinating, and it has a Bay Area connection. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about an honorary. Asians being awesome. So we do this segment in our podcast called Asians Being Awesome, where we talk about um, Asians, Asian Americans, who uh, we think are awesome, that have something to do with the topic that we're talking about. And so today we have an honorary Asian being awesome because he's not actually Asian. We mentioned that Masanori Murakami is the first person that most people think think of as the first Asian-born player in the MLB. But that's not 100% true because uh, he is the first Asian, Asian-born player in the MLB, but not the first Asian-born player because Harry Kingman, born in Tianjin, China, 1892. He played for a year for the New York Yankees in 1914. Does being born in China make you Asian? I don't know. Well, I mean, if you're born in America, you're American, right? Right? <laughs> right? He, well, he wasn't a Chinese citizen. So I don't know. It's, it's a little gray. It's a little gray. I, I'm going to say that maybe his first language is Chinese. I think it was. It could have been. Yeah, it definitely one of his first languages, maybe second, but uh, he, he probably knew Chinese. And he's a cool dude, too. So I, I want to talk about him. We're going to give him honorary Asian status. Um, so Harry Kingman, born in Tianjin, uh, to two American missionaries. So they were missionaries over there in China. and in But in 1899, his dad became chaplain at Pomona College. And Harry Kingman went to that college and was a five-sport athlete. And he actually got a minor league contract with the Washington Senators. Mm. And then he made it to the Yankees for one season, and they call it, he came up for a cup of coffee. That's kind of the slang for a kid who makes it to a professional team for such a short amount of time, he doesn't really make a difference. But he played for the Yankees. And then, and you'll like this, he came back to California after baseball, came back to California and started working at Styles Hall, formerly the Berkeley YMCA, at the University of California, Berkeley. Ah, that's... That's my alma mater. Go Bears. Alma mater. Yep. So uh, then he became a missionary in Japan and China and came back to Berkeley in 1927. And he founded the Berkeley Student Cooperative, the co-op, in 1933. So he was one of the guys who founded that. And if you don't know what the Berkeley Co-op Student Co-op is, is they fight um, discrimination against housing uh, for students of all different backgrounds. And so he really fought for kids to get housing regardless of race, creed, or color, or national origin. This is 1933. So, and they're still around, right? Yeah. Uh, the co-op's still there. And so he really worked hard to fight against discrimination. And for 24 years, he worked at Styles Hall. And during World War II, it is said that he and his wife helped dozens of Japanese-American students escape internment by relocating them to schools in other parts of the country. Wow. So there were Japanese students out here on the West Coast, and if you don't know your history, uh, if you're on the West Coast, you got sent to Colorado or Utah, you got sent somewhere else to basically be, be in a prison camp. 
And so he convinced these Japanese American students to go to other schools so that they wouldn't be interned, which is pretty cool. Then he went to, after he retired from Styles Hall, he went to Washington, D.C. and was an anti discrimination lobbyist. And then he moved back to Oakland and he died in 1982 at the age of 90. But Harry Kingman, Asian being awesome. He's got a cool life. He's got to have his name. Uh- some kind of building in Berkeley. I got to go go to the campus and do a little treasure hunt for that. Yeah, for sure. At Styles Hall, he he, there'd be some record of him. But yeah, played for the Yankees for a little bit. For right. a I have a lot of time on my hands now that I'm retiring. I'm going yeah. to do that. I'm going to go out of Berkeley, <laughs> go check out the campus. It's probably a little bit quieter than normal. And, uh, look yeah, for Harry yeah. Kingman's name. All right, snap a picture for me. Send it to the podcast. We'll put it on the Instagram. All right, so... Uh, let's talk about this. We're going to talk about some Asian players in baseball. And uh, so we have this history going back to 1964, but it really ramped up in the 90s and 2000s. And most of the players came from three countries, um, unless I'm wrong, unless you can think of someone else. But Taiwan, South Korea, and Japan, those are the three that I can think of mostly. Yeah, pretty much. There was, well, we'll talk about Bruce Chen later, but... um. But yeah, so there are so many names, and we could have uh, we could we could have filled two hours talking about all these different baseball, especially the Japanese players. But um, let's talk a little bit about the history, and it goes back to 1934 in Japan. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about Japan a little bit because a, a majority, I think it's over 60 players, have come from Japan. Uh, maybe about a dozen from Korea and maybe 10 from Taiwan. But Japan has, has the most notable ones that I can think of. And so how did how did baseball in Japan grow? And, and so I did a little research and found out that 1934, but there was a guy named, I'm going to butcher the Japanese here, so bear with me. So Mats, Matsutaro Shoriki, was, he was a rich guy in Japan. He had a lot of different media um, connections and had a lot of money. And so in 1934, he started what was called the Dai Nippon Tokyo Yaku Kurabu, which stands for the Great Japan Tokyo Baseball Club. <laughs> a little bit of a mouthful. A little bit of a mouthful. He set it up, and they actually had some American All-Stars come visit. People like Babe Ruth, Jimmy Fox, Lou Gehrig, like the big names. And I didn't know this, but Babe Ruth had quite a following in Japan. He was really popular. Like, he really was popular with the Japanese fans. And so this this all-star team from America came and and played against this early Japanese league. And they modeled the league after the MLB. You know, they have kind of a Japan series, and it's about the same schedule. I think they play a different number of games. But other than that, it's pretty similar. The rules are almost exactly the same. The one difference is they can end in a tie. Their games can end in a tie, which is kind of different. All the way up to the Japan Series, their version of the World Series. But other than that, pretty much the same. And then they flew they flew a team out to America in 1935, and they were playing against Pacific Coast League and other minor league teams in America. And they did quite well. They won 93 out of 102 games. They kind of ran into this problem. Like, I just had trouble starting stumbling over the name of the league and the team so then they changed their name to the tokyo giants <laughs> and they're still there the yomayuri giants are still there and the same colors and the same basic 
uniforms, black and orange, as the New York Giants. It's the which exact are same font on the uh, on the uniforms. Yeah, yeah. So it's really cool. I got a hat. I had a friend in Japan bring me a hat. So yeah, so that was kind of the start of it in Japan, pre World War Two, and so I, I heard this this legend that um, at the end of World War Two. They the Americans were thinking about having Babe Ruth broadcast on the radio to try to convince uh, Japan to surrender because they were just holding on and holding on and they were like, well, Babe Ruth is such a revered figure in Japan. They were going to have him on the radio saying, you know, you know, you don't have to keep going, blah blah blah. You know, we can end this right now. And they were, they were, he didn't do it, but they were thinking about that. That was a legend I heard. So all right, a little baseball history in Japan. And the league's thriving. The The sport is the most popular in Japan, I think. Uh, high school athletes, their their high school championships are in huge stadiums with like 40,000 people for high school. So it's kind of like Friday Night Lights here in, in Texas. Not here in Texas, over in Texas. But it's high school baseball in Japan. Such a big deal. And and the kids, oh, it's like so traumatic when they lose. They're all crying. <laughs> it's it's a big deal. It's a you know celebrities flying. It's a it's a huge deal over there. So that's one of the reasons they have such a good professional league is because they take it real seriously over there from an early age. Probably more than we do here in America, to be honest. Well, yeah, I, I had the uh, the privilege of going to uh, Tokyo and uh, see uh, about I want to say about. 10 years ago i have to look back um major league baseball had their official opening game between the oakland a's and the mariners in tokyo and so uh you know i i uh i told the family hey guess where we're going for for spring vacation this year we're going we're going to tokyo and they go great you know um everybody loves going to japan if you've never been there i definitely highly recommend it um, but my my ulterior motive was to go to the Tokyo Dome for uh, <laughs> baseball, and it's a it's a it's it's fantastic. You know, it's it's the same game. And uh, Ichiro was part of the Mariners, and you know he was getting to the tail end of his career at that point. And so there was very much a vibe of this is like a Hall of Fame, like a farewell type of of environment. I mean, huge, huge. Um, publicity while we we're in japan um or maybe that is the only news that i could understand because it was semi in english but uh-huh. um i got tickets to go to the game and uh, if you ever go to the tokyo dome uh it was, it's very 70s baseball because it's under a dome and they have like artificial turf uh-huh. uh and, and there's a there's a wonderful japanese baseball museum there which um i wish was translated more into english but you could see mm-hmm. the you could see the side of who are oh, and there was a lot of you know displays about him and a, a bunch of other um, Japanese uh, Hall of Fame type of players who um, I, I kind of knew of, but I, they they uh, the names escape me a little bit right now. But um, yeah. but um, there are a couple of things, you know, a couple of things. I mean, that when you when you sit in the stands, you know, one of the things that shocked me is that uh, they have hard liquor at the game. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and. They also have these, they call them, I think they call them, well, in Japanese, I'm sure it's called something else, but we'll call them the beer girls. Right, right. Right, the girls. and they They're have, models, basically. Right? Well, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're obviously uh, handpicked to uh, appeal to the male, yeah, the male crowd. Yeah. Um, and they, they, they have to, like, wear these, like, uh, basically backpacks. And then in the Giants games, you've seen these guys with the, the, uh, right. the, um, 
the hot chocolate and it's a big old like keg that they have to like <laughs> hang on their uh their back and so these 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 young girls have got keg basically kegs soft kegs of beer <laughs> uh walking up and down the uh the aisles and selling beer um straight out of the keg and so like and they had cheerleaders you know so um it was interesting it was a, it was a great experience People are into it. Yeah, they're they're into it the whole game long. Like the cheers and the chants and the songs. They all sing songs together. Yeah, it's different than I mean, you know, like San Francisco Giants fans, as you know, you know, we're too cool for school, right? We don't get we, right. we don't get into the uh, wave, you know, the, the whole collective um, being part of a crowd and doing the same thing. That, that's really not for Giants fans, right? It's like don't no, yeah. don't bother me the wave. Um, but in Japan, right? If you, if you do a wave, I mean, everybody gets excited about it. And, there's cheerleaders that are um, egging this on and uh, you know, everybody's in the same colors, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, you know, it shows you a little bit different, the culture between uh, an Asian crowd and an American crowd. All right. Well, got to break it to the family. We might be doing a little summer trip to Japan. One of these years, add that to the list of things to do in Tokyo. That sounds really fun. All right, let's get into a couple of players here. We'll get, we're, now, again, I hope we don't lose every single person out there, but we're going to talk about a couple pitchers and maybe a couple position players. Um, let's start with the pitchers. I'm going to let you go first, Justin. You pick a, pick a player to kind of discuss off the top of your head, or you can use uh, you can use the internet up to you. What do you want to? Well, do? I mean, there. You know, as you said, there was. You know, when I was growing up, there was hardly any uh, uh, Asian in baseball and i think yeah. part of it was that you know you just weren't allowed to get out of your japanese contract you know in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and yeah. come over and play major league baseball but uh, you know the, the guy that and i hate it hate the fact that it's the dodgers <laughs> right more is a giant right we have we have a lot we have asian population here you know in san francisco but um you know there's no doubt in japan and in korea i mean la is a lot more popular in San Francisco. It's yeah adds to the rivalry. But uh, uh, you know, shout out to Hideo Nomo. I mean, right. Hideo Nomo was the first guy who was good, and uh, I, I really think kind of broke broke the uh, the dam uh, and opened the floodgates. So Asian sure. yeah. Asian Japanese players, Korean players, um, Taiwanese players coming into into uh, Major League Baseball. Well, and pitching for the Dodgers tonight, Hideo Nomo, last year's Rookie of the Year with a 13-6 and mark, a 2.54 ERA, led the National League in strikeouts with 236. And the strikeout is the third for Nomo. When he pauses at the top, like right there, see? That's where you got to get another, like, swing in or something like that, and CJ goes down. Well, they're loving it in Japan. That's nine strikeouts. Struck him out. That is a new mark for Nomo, 17. A magnificent performance. For Hideo Nomo. You know, it helped that he was with the Dodgers, helped that he was good. He had a little bit of a funky delivery, too. And, and so, um, you know, you got, got that mini, mini celebrity uh, 
status and you know you know the dodgers did the uh i guess reached out globally a little bit better than the san francisco giants you had fernando yeah. for a while to get the mexican right. crowd and then they all know coming in yeah the tornado delivery the kind of his arms are straight up spins backwards right yeah, well, I'm going to give you a question, Curtis, since, uh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. I did That's my fair research. Play. Fair I play. did my research. Um, right. Which Asian starting pitcher had the most wins or has the most wins? Most wins. Yeah. We just talked about the day on that one, so might be a little bit of a giveaway. Uh, um, I don't know. It had to be someone with a long career, right? Yep. See, I've got a couple... I did a little research on. I'm gonna go Bruce Chen. Bruce Chen? No, I don't think so. I think. <laughs> I think it's still Chan Ho Park. Really? He was Chan Ho was actually with the Dodgers before Hideo Nemo. So they oh. they signed Chan Ho Park out of high school in Korea. They just plucked him out of high school, and he was in the oh, minor wow. leagues for a while. So he he. So he wasn't under contract. That was the he key. Was, he wasn't he under was, contract. No, he actually. He actually made his major league debut before Hideo Nomo. Yeah, oh, you know, wow. like a, you know, like one of those September call-ups. And huh. uh, yeah, he kind of went under the radar because I think he was only an all-star once. And um, you know, he 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 definitely loved LA, you know, like all Koreans do. Um, hmm. So I hear. And uh, uh, but yeah. but you know that was a time you know in the two thousands where um, if you were good. Um, and you got to free agency. Well, money talks. So he ended up over in uh, the Texas Ranger organization. And so uh, when you string along all the years that he was um, pitching, Chan Hope. 17 years. Yeah, 17 yeah, Chan Hope Park, I believe, actually still leads the Asians in Major League Baseball win total. 124. That's a big number. So good for Chan Ho. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. 1994. But he didn't really pitch until 96. Yeah. Yeah. So Hideo Nomo definitely stole his thunder because he was good from the get-go. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. you know, for a while there. But yeah, you're right. For had, a while there, both of them were good. four innings in 1994. <laughs> but for a while there, both of them were really good. Yeah. And the Dodgers were good, you know. So, yeah. Okay. Good fun fact. All right. I'm going to go. Let me see. Who do I want to go with here? I'm going to go... Well, since I mentioned him, I'm going to go with Bruce Chen. Uh, interesting story on this guy. I I thought he was Taiwanese when I first when I heard of him, but he was actually born to Chinese parents in Panama mm. in 1977. Younger than us, yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> I thought yeah. He was like a long time. I thought he was a long time ago, but um, yeah, he um, born in Panama, so he speaks Spanish and uh, came up to the MLB. And he played for 17 seasons, another long career. Nothing super flashy. His his ending numbers were 82 and 81. 82 wins and 81 losses. So just one game over 500, meaning that he won one more game than he lost. Nothing super amazing. Like, you know, he didn't win 20 games or he didn't strike out a ton, a ton of people. But he was good enough to make 11 MLB teams. I, don't, I can't even name them all. But, um, yeah, so 17 seasons. He played for both Panama and China's World Baseball Classic teams, which is kind of cool. And he's got some roles. I forget who he's with right now, but he's got some roles in doing kind of diversity stuff for MLB. He still works for them, and he's doing 
because he speaks Spanish and, and Chinese. So I think he uh, is able to kind of be an ambassador for the sport in China as well as in Latin America. So I like him. So I'm gonna, And he could be a cousin of mine. So I'm going to give a shout-out to Bruce Chen, uh, 17 seasons, born Chinese, born in Panama. Definitely a very solid guy. Well, um, the one guy, yeah, the, the one guy I do remember who was Asian American. So there would like, you know, like we were talking about, I mean, when I was growing up in the seventies, you know, you, I would say there were hardly any Asians, but there was one, there were actually, there was one when I was growing up. And, um, that guy's name was, uh, Mike Lum, right? My last name is Lim. So Lum, Lim, that's the same name. It really, uh, you know, right. For all you, for yeah. all you Asians out there, yeah. it's the same name. And Mike Lum, uh, was born in Hawaii. And he was a first baseman for the Atlanta Braves. And, um, you know, back in the 70s, you know, you needed a lot of power from your first baseman. That wasn't Mike Lum. <laughs> Mike Lum, right? You, you, had, you had Willie McCovey. He was, you know, he was hitting 40 home runs a year or 30 plus. Uh, you know, guys like Boog Powell and, um, you know, who else was out there? Um, you know, big fat guys they would put out. And um, Willie Stargell yeah. comes to mind, right? They're right the guys right, who right. can't really move that well. So they put him in first put base him. because you didn't really need to move. And uh, But you're expected to hit like 40-something home runs. But, um, right, but uh, right. Mike Lum, you know, if you ever looked at him, you know, play, um, it's kind of kind of like a, a – what's the guy in, um, in Tampa Bay, uh, G-Man Choi? You know, you, you don't really uh-huh. think of him getting big hits. You know, he doesn't really – not a big home run, but he would, you know, spray those doubles. You know, he was a good hitter. You know, you had to be a good hitter to be to play first base because there's some big fat guy ready to take your job. And, um, <laughs> you know, he, he stuck around for a while. And, uh, and uh, yeah, Mike Lum was, I think, probably one of two Asian Americans that I can remember in the 70s. Now, did you notice him because he was alum? That was like oh, absolutely. Of... Well, not only that, but he was he was he was Chinese, basically. You know, he's Chinese. Right. Yeah, I, I would think he's Chinese uh, Hawaiian or Hawaiian. And um, yeah, yeah. you know, Lum Lim, like I said, it's the same name. Um, but yeah. um, you know, back then they didn't have any interviews, right? You don't have Twitter. You don't have like. So I don't really yeah. know what kind of personality he has, especially uh, playing right. out in Atlanta. But shout out to Mike Lum. Mike huh. Lum was. Uh, I wish I could see, could have seen him play a little bit more. Probably would have. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's some stuff on YouTube. You might have to dig around Maybe. a little bit. All right. So I'm going to go. I'm going to end this here. Well, I mean, we could talk about Masanori, but he wasn't real that good. He actually wasn't really that good. But he was the first, uh, 1964. We talked about him a little bit. Funny story is that he actually was able to stay here in America because they, they sent him over to America kind of as an ambassador to kind of train with the minor leagues and, you know, hang out with the spring training with the Giants. And then his team in Japan forgot to call him back. They left him there. And so (laughs) he played for a season with the Giants because he was just there. So they played him a little bit, and he's a pitcher. And he pitched for a whole season. And then then the, the Japanese team, the Hawks, said, we want him back. And the Giants said, no, actually, you want to keep him, too. And then so they had to bring in the uh, Japanese baseball commissioner. And he said, okay, well, he needs to go back to the Hawks because he's under contract with them. But because you kind of left him here, he gets to play one more season with the Giants. So he he played another season with the Giants. That was the compromise that he came up with. And he appeared in 45 games total. Um, he went 4-1. and one. 
3.75 ERA, which stands for earned run average, meaning that for every nine innings he pitched, he allowed three and three quarters of a run. Um, not bad, not bad. 85 strikeouts, 22 walks. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he he actually came back and worked for the Giants for a little bit, and now he's a commentator. So he does uh, baseball on the oh, radio awesome. in Japan. He also does a little writing. But I wanted to talk about our guy, the freak. Big time, Tim Jim. We're talking about Tim Lincecum, who is half Filipino. A lot of people don't know that, but his mom is Filipino because his mom's kind of out of the picture. She didn't really, she's not really in his life, but she's she's Filipino. So Tim Lincecum is half Filipino, and if you are a Giants fan in the 2000s, he's your guy. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> he he, he kind of started the whole, you know... I mean, Matt Cain was there, but he's kind of boring, no, right? Timmy, Timmy <laughs> the Kid. Without Timmy the Kid, we don't get that 2010 World Series. No way. Yeah. Yeah, he's legendary. For He he, he burned bright for about four years. <laughs> you know, Like that, that hurts his chances for the, the Hall of Fame. But for four years, he put up some amazing numbers. He got the Cy Young twice. Um, his first season, two thousand. well, first, second full season in 2008, he goes eighteen and five. ERA is two point six six two, which is really really good. He struck out two hundred sixty five batters in in two hundred twenty seven innings, which is anytime you can strike out more than one an inning, you're doing something right. So he was a Cy Young and an All Star. Followed it up by a two thousand nine season, which is almost as good. Also got the Cy Young that year. Three World Series rings, two no hitters. Um, he holds the Giants franchise for franchise record for most games with ten or more strikeouts. He has twenty nine games with ten or more strikeouts, which beats out Christy Mathewson. <laughs> ten and three so far. Two point four five year. And look at the strikeouts. One hundred and sixty eight. That leads the National League. Here. Got him. Three off speed pitches. Grab some pine meat. Got him. A career high. In strikeouts for Lincecum. Got him! 15 strikeouts for Lincecum. Blanco in center. Blanco on the move. Side retired. Lincecum is going to go to the ninth inning without allowing anything more than a walk in this game. And they are on their feet here at AT&T Park for the little guy that they adore. Four nothing Giants. People holding up their cell phone cameras to record the moment. Two down in the night. The one-two pitch. Curveball grounded to second. Panic's got it. The throw to first. It's a no-hitter. Tim Lincecum, who is mobbed by his overjoyed Giants teammates has pitched his second no-hitter and in the second consecutive year. He pitched one against these Padres last July and not quite one year later. He does it again this time here at home. So really amazing because the wheels fell off. You know, in 2000, around 2012 2013, the wheels kind of fell off and he lost velocity. Like he used to be able to, what did he throw, 97? He could throw mid-high 90s. Yeah. He had a few moments then, at the end, you know, 
sprinkled a couple of no hitters there. Or Dan. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, guys are hitting him. Like, you know, I think with Nomo too, they had the funky delivery and then batters kind of figured it uh, out. Well, I think. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then he just lost control and he just couldn't he couldn't get the 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 velocity back up on the on the fastball. So yeah, unfortunately, he had well, a lot of we bad don't years. Choose to remember those those memories. I mean, yeah, you know, never, no, t- t- never happened. Tim Tim Lincecum will should be in the Hall of Fame in my book. Back to back Cy Youngs, come on. Yeah, no, he's he's done. He's done almost everything you could ask in a short amount of time. Um, and even 2012, he had this amazing relief appearances in the World Series. Like we're like, wait, what is team player? Thing? Yeah, so he he's a cool guy. I mean. Unfortunately, he didn't didn't have the the amazing career for a long period of time, but uh, yeah. So he's he's most people around here in that era. If you are a Giants fan, he's your guy. All right, so we're gonna go into position players now, and I'll let you take first pick here. Who do you want to talk about? Position players. Wow. Um, let me. Since we're, I'm really a Giants fan. All right. <laughs> this guy, as you say, came up for a cup of coffee. Right, but um, Jay Gyun Kwang. I think I'm pretty Whoa. sure I butchered his name because <laughs> I don't speak Korean. But Jay Gyun Kwang, uh-huh. uh, this guy came over from Korea. Uh, I think he was a big star there, and he wanted to break into the major leagues. Came in for spring training. I want to say around 2015, 2014. I mean, it wasn't too long ago. Um, mm-hmm. I think he really charmed the uh, beat writers with the uh, chocolate pies. I remember, I remember, I remember one of the beat writers writing, "Hey, you know, I've never had a chocolate pie before. You know, this this guy Wang, it's like loves these chocolate pies. He gave us one, and they started writing great things about him. And uh, he he didn't make the opening day roster, um, so he kind of stuck around the minor leagues, hoping for that call up. And uh, sure enough, he gets called up in summer, June. You know, the Giants are looking for a spark. He's a third baseman. First game, it's a game-winning home run. I go, oh, this is great. You know, we're gonna not only we have an Asian on San, San Francisco again, but the, this guy might actually be good. And lo and behold, that was really it was all downhill from then. He lasted another two months and uh, ended up hitting uh, like 180 or 170 toward Dan, and he had to kind of like you know the Giants basically cut him. And uh, <laughs> he went back to Korea, but for one that for one shining moment, that that was my favorite giant, Jae Gyun Kwang. All right, all right, you and maybe ten other people. <laughs> That's a cool pick. Well, okay, you you went obscure. I'm gonna go obvious. I'm gonna go okay. obvious. I'm gonna go Ichiro. Ichiro Suzuki, legend, right? He is a legend in two countries. Uh, played for Japan. So he played for eight years in Japan and then came over to America in 2001. It was a big deal. They had to you know, fight for his contract, too. They had to offer him a ton yeah. of money. Or they had to pay, pay out the other club, the Oryx Blue Wave. They had to pay some, 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 a lot of money exchanged hands there. And uh, like you said, it's got to be on the West Coast, somewhere on the West Coast. So the time zone isn't super ridiculous for folks in Japan. Though I, I heard that people would wake up four in the morning to watch a Mariners oh, yeah. game and what yeah and so he came over in 2001 and he was not a power hitter though he could he could hit a, a home run here and there but man did he have the hand-eye control 
he could hit in any situation. He can he can make contact and, and he had this amazing kind of a swinging bunt. He would start running towards first base as he's making contact with the ball. So he was halfway down the line. He was super fast. Like we said, he had the most stolen bases. A super defensive player too. A really good arm, like an amazing arm and. He's not a big guy. Like he's a smallish kind of guy and light, but super fast, really, really skilled. And the first pitch is swung on, hit well to right field. Backing up is Ichiro. He's at the wall. He looks up. He leaps, and he makes the catch. What a catch by Ichiro. Banging up against the right field wall, taking extra bases, possibly a home run away from Jeff Kent. Red, that was absolutely incredible because he was twisting and he was turning as he got to the wall in straightaway right field at the last second. He looked over his left shoulder, looked over his right shoulder, leaped up at the top of the wall, high in the air, and he made the catch. Holy smokes, he's amazing. Here comes the 2-2 to Ichiro on the way. Swung on, line drive, base hit center field. There's number 262. My, oh my, what a way to cap off an unbelievable year. Ichiro, a bullet into center field for number 262. And that baseball is retrieved and will be brought back. 262 hits for Ichiro here in 2004. And there is our Magnolia moment. And there's number 200. No doubt about it. Two hard-hit balls today by Ichiro. Ten consecutive years of 200 or more hits. Nobody's done that. That is outstanding. Ten years. Ten consecutive years of 200 or more hits. I mean, when you... Th- you know, it's some ridiculous. records, yeah, it really is. Yeah. When you think of... In a row. Wait a minute, ten in a row? Yeah, in a row. And the rigors that you go through in a big league season? Well, I mean, you, you really think about it that... You think of all the players that have played this game. Eight, about 18,000. Yeah. And here he sits there, 10 in a row. Nobody's done it. And he's a, you know, for 10, 200-hit seasons. He and Pete Rose now at 10. Yep. He over, let me give you a couple stats here. He played 28 seasons combined. 28 seasons in both nine in the Japanese NPB and then, what would that be, 19 in America. Mm-hmm. And he... um. Hit the single season record for the most hits with 262 hits in one season. And he also achieved 10 consecutive 200-hit seasons. His first 10 years in the MLB. 200 hits, man, in in every season for 10 years. So he accumulated, if you add up both Japan and the United States, over 4,000 hits. That is amazing. 10 gold gloves, 10-time All-Star. Just an amazing player. Good guy, too. I think people just, you know, think of him as a really good guy. He's willing to play for other teams, just get more playing time to get o- over the some more stats. But he, he is just an amazing hitter. Mariners for a good 11 years, and then the Yankees for a couple, and then the Marlins. I f- almost forget about the Marlin years. But he played for a couple years for the Marlins. But, yeah, everywhere he went, he produced. Amazing defense and amazing hitting. You have any Ichiro memories? Well, you saw him in Japan. Yeah, and that was toward the tail end. He was a superior athlete, but um, so um, I always hoped that he would be the San Francisco Giant. Uh, I mean, he'd be perfect. He'd the be last perfect. time 
the all-star game was in uh, Pac Bell Park in San Francisco. Ichiro was the MVP. And, um, yeah. you know, he's, he, you know, right field is like a huge expanse in, uh, in, in Pac Bell. And, um, you know, with his defense and the, you know, just spraying doubles, getting on base. I mean, each, and he was a free agent, I think. I think there was talk about yeah, he was. a free agent during that year. And, uh, you know, we were trying to recruit him hard, I think, in San, San Francisco with that all-star game. But um, yeah. where, where did, he, did he go back to? I guess he went back to, he went to, he New, went York. to New York. Okay. So, and then he went back to the Mariners yeah. at the end, I guess. Yeah, at the very end, a, couple, a year with the Mariners, a year or two okay. with the Mariners. Yeah. Man, yeah. No, that would have because, you know, AT&T or Oracle – was not known as a home run hitters park for right-handers, especially, and uh, well, yeah, well for anybody really. Right. But uh, but yes, he his his ball control, the way he could put place the ball, he would have so many doubles and triples at AT&T. That would have been a great. Oh yeah, at the top of the lineup in front of Bonds. Oh oh yeah. Yeah. Forget about it. Oh. <laughs> oh well. What could uh, have happened? Oh well. Yeah, and and it would just be a box office draw, right? You know, to have an Asian player. In San Francisco, it, it kills me that the, uh, the the Dodgers continue to uh, yeah to and they all you know all the Asian players they want to go to LA, yeah. right? So I mean I understand Shohei because um, I don't know if we talked enough about how amazing Shohei Otani is. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting. Oh, there. you're getting there. Okay, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean uh, San Francisco needs to step it up in the recruitment of uh, Asian players for sure. We really do, yeah. All right. Let's see. You want to talk about Godzilla here? Godzilla, Hideki Matsui. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you break him down a little bit? Ah, you know, with the Yankees, you know, the Yankees were, were big in the, you know, post, especially post 9-11, it's safe. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but uh, so Hideki Matsui, he had a little, like, little hitch with the, as a left-handed um, hitter and he was pretty good power. And the, the, the Yankees were really good during that period of time. So, um, yeah, really easy to uh, to root for, and um, this is not well. It's kind of baseball related, so he's a huge star also in in Japan, right? And so when you go to Tokyo uh, to go check out baseball, uh, Hideki Matsui has a chain. I think owns a chain of curry restaurants, <laughs> right? And uh, when you go to a curry restaurant, uh, Japanese curry restaurant in uh, in Tokyo, they're they're the kind where you. Uh, go get a, like a coin and a vending machine mm-hmm. and uh, you sit at the counter and depending on what coin you bought, which is the meal that you bought, you just slap it down on the counter and then the waitress will come over and, and give you, you know, whether a katsu curry or whatever it's uh-huh. that you, you decide to order. So it's, it's a lot of fun to do that. So Hideki Matsui, you know, he's got, he's got that chain of a uh, curry and it's, it's actually really good. <laughs> All right, pro tip. Yeah, when in when in Tokyo. So he was a giant. We can talk about. He's a he was a Yomiuri giant, but he was a giant. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, and uh, I'll read your notes because I didn't do my research on Hideki Matsui. I mean, I just remember. Um, but uh, yeah, ten years um, with the Giants, and he was a nine-time All Star, and now it's good enough to get him into the major leagues and played for the Yankees. And seven years, got a World Series ring. Um, he was really good in that World Series. He hit six fifteen, so that's three home runs, eight RBIs, and uh, and he only played he only played in the American League game, so he only played three games in that World Series. Yeah. <laughs> so he got the, he put up those numbers in three games. That's pretty impressive. That, that 
he i remember he had a great world series so but yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah yeah he also played for the angels and I, actually i didn't remember this but yeah now that you put it in the notes he, he did spend a little time with the oakland a's so he was, i didn't remember that either <laughs> he was he was local and tampa bay got him as well but uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah hideki matsui good guy yeah good numbers and if you didn't if i didn't have this on the notes here would you be able to guess his age <laughs> he's no. only 47 oh <laughs> Well, you yeah. should. Maybe he's still playing in Japan. At that he's age. got an old face. Like when he came up, he looked like he was forty. <laughs> yeah. He has an older-looking face. But I was shocked to find he's born in nineteen seventy-four. He's, a, I mean, only forty-seven. But I would have thought he's older than me. But uh, yeah, all right. Um, I'm going to do this one real quick. Uh, another Hawaiian, Colton Wong, still playing. Actually, playing at a high level. Playing at a really high level. Mm-hmm. Um, his dad played a little bit at USC and was in the minors, but then, then he had Colton and he, uh, trained Colton from a young age. So Colton was playing baseball from a young age and was really dedicated. Went to the university of Hawaii, got drafted in the first round by St. Louis. And the game that you were talking about with Travis Ishikawa, that series, that was his rookie year, 2014. And he had a great NLCS. He hit a couple home runs. He had a game winner in game two. Very solid, and he had a really good season just just now for Milwaukee. He was on St. Louis for all those years. Really good second baseman, um, two gold gloves, defensive player of the year in 2019, but really good second baseman, and solid. He's still playing, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Still yeah, playing. yeah, of course, yeah. He was, just, he's, he was still playing with Milwaukee. Yeah, because he's a rookie in 2014, so he has he's, you know, what, nine years now? Right. But uh, Or less than that. No, seven, eight years. Yeah, so he's... He's still going. Uh, I, I don't know how long. I think he signed a two-year contract with Milwaukee. So, you know, Giants might need a second baseman. You never know. Well, we definitely do. I always, always could use depth. Uh, and then, let's see. Let's, let's end it off here by talking about the guy. The guy that we need to talk about right now. The man of the hour, Shohei Otani. Um, really in a class by himself, right? Of all players, not just of... Asian players of all players because he's going to get the MVP. He could have got it in either league. And the reason he's so special, if you don't know, the reason he's so special is he plays both ways. He pitches at a high level and he can crush the ball as a hitter. Super rare. Like we've had players that can pitch and hit a little bit. You know, Madison Bumgarner can hit a little bit. But this guy is a legit power hitter. Now he was drafted in or he came over here in 2018 and you know, there's a lot of hoopla, but he's had some injuries, and he's never been able to really put it together until this year. He put both together, pitching and hitting, and stayed relatively injury-free on a bad Angels team. Like, the Angels are not very good. Mike Trout's been hurt. Um, but he is a really good pitcher, so if you don't know much about stats, but he he had a 9-2 record for 23 starts. He had an ERA of 3.18. Again, so that means every nine innings he's allowing three runs and a whip of 1.09 basically a whip of one which means for every inning he allows either one walk or one hit per inning which is really good for a starter to have a whip that low and 156 strikeouts in 130 innings pitch so like we said anytime you're more than one strikeout per inning you're you're doing something right and that's just the pitching so that would have been all-star performance as a pitcher but he also was a hitter. He had 46 home runs. 
46. That's a big number nowadays. You don't was anyone has how many did uh, Tatis hit this year or Tatis not? I want to say Otani. Did, did Otani lead the league in home runs? I, I want to say it's pretty close. Pretty yeah, it might be. I mean, yeah. um, we'll have to look that up. I, I, I really yeah. should know my stats uh, from this current season a little bit better. But, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. Otani is really one of a kind. I mean, I don't – I mean, there you, you could legitimately say that there's never been a person, a player in all of base, Major League Baseball history who's – been able to be an elite pitcher and hitter at the exact same time yeah yeah i mean babe ruth comes to mind but he was an elite pitcher right he was a amazing hitter he was an elite pitcher but he didn't hit at the same because you have the dh now you see you gotta remember that so when Uh, when babe ruth was um pitching they didn't have the dh so he could only hit every so often if he was pitching and so they pretty oh. much figured out that he was more valuable hitting. And so he stopped oh. pitching after a while okay. and just basically exclusively hit all the time, right? So uh-huh. the DH is key is a little bit of a key to Shoei Otani's success. And yeah. I'm sure he thought about that when he because everybody was going after him. Can you imagine Otani with the Giants? Right. Oh, we were we were oh, we, we 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 were there with the millions of dollars trying to bid for him. And I think it yeah. came down to the Dodgers and the Angels, you know, because he uh-huh. wanted to end up in L.A. And he ended up with the Angels because he knew that he could hit and pitch and do yeah. that successfully with, with the, the DH. DH. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. DH. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe the National League will have a DH, Justin. Maybe. Well, they are next year. Yeah, yeah. And if I'm Shohei Otani... <laughs> get me out of the los angeles angels uh, organization come on man yeah come on up we'll, uh, we'll show you a good time uh, after this here. podcast is over i'm gonna look up his contract status so <laughs> yeah let's see yeah, if we have a chance him, let's send him some emails so you know once he's on the, now that he's on this podcast i think he's gonna realize that sf's the place to be because i'm sure he listens i'm sure he listens to this podcast right you, you have this translated in uh like four or five languages <laughs> curtis easily Easily four or five. Otani crushes it to deep right field. Good bye. Shohei going way back, right center, made the adjustment, and what a swing for Otani. 2-2, and there's a chase and a miss, and he got him on the splitter right there. And here's the pitch, and he swings and drives the ball deep into right center field. Showtime! First ball swinging. Otani, the hitter, hits one out of sight. It's one nothing Angels. Wow. There is nothing better than to help yourself at the plate, and Shohei on the mound says, you know what, I'm going to put a couple of runs on the board and take some pressure off these guys. This is a bomb, a laser beam. It is out as quick as it came in at 97 miles an hour. Here's the 0-2 pitch, and that is a called third strike. He struck him out looking, so a couple more strikeouts for Shohei. He has set down 13 of the last 14 batters. Uh, yeah, but amazing season. I hope he stays healthy, too. I mean, if he can, I think it's going to be hard to do both forever, but... Um... For now, just enjoy it while you can, folks, because this is uh, this is history. This is really you don't see this. Uh, 
ever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not no, like just, yeah. I mean, it's not like a once in a while thing. It's it's, it's a one of a kind. I mean, I don't think uh, in America, you know, American baseball player, you know, as you develop, I mean, they they basically force you to take one side or the other. From like middle school, yeah. from middle school, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, little league pitchers hit and hitters pitch, but uh, once you hit high school, you you're pretty much well college for sure. High school, they still kind of go both ways, but uh, yeah, it's pretty rare because you got it's a craft. I mean, it's such a hard skill to develop pitching or hitting. You have to kind of decide which one you want to work on. But he's just such a natural athlete. He's fast too. Twenty six stolen bases this year, right? So. He's fast. He's he's got all the tools. I mean, he could play any sport probably. You know, if he put his mind to it, he's that gifted, pure athlete, and just a super nice guy too. All the interviews, so humble, and just really seems nice, and always has a smile on his face. Like people will throw at him and hit him with a pitch, and or you know he'll he'll throw at some guys, and then they'll kind of yell at him. He's like, oh, sorry, my bad, you know. I've never seen anyone like this before, and this is and is an elite player, you know, not cocky or, you know, in your face. He's such a seems like a gentle soul, but a fierce competitor. So it's really amazing. All right, well, you want to do your late breaking news here? Late breaking news, Forever Giant, Suyoshi Shinjo. <laughs> oh man! Right now, anyone who watched the 2002 World Series just cringed a little bit. What's your late breaking news? Well, Shijoshi Shinjo, just to educate the the uh, the, the, the non Giants uh, fans, Shijoshi Shinjo was a uh, Japanese baseball player for the San Francisco Giants, and he actually played a pretty decent center field. He just couldn't yep. hit, but he he yeah. basically started for the majority of the season all the way up until September for a, a very, very good Giants team that made it to the World Series and in heartbreaking fashion lost it. Game seven. Well, game six <laughs> is where we, we really lost it. But we we really had a chance still in game seven. But the, the, yeah. the, the I guess the, the heart was broken already. But uh, yeah. um, but the, the, so Soshi Shinjo, I think... Um, was the last the last guy up? He's a pinch and hitter. I, I'm not really sure why Dusty pinch hit Shinjo for. Um, I think uh, Pedro. Pedro. Yeah, Pedro Feliz has a little bit more power. You'd think I he'd know. be able to get. Maybe he was. I mean, I I think Dusty might be one of those guys that just always plays the, the hunch, the gut, plays yeah. the you know maybe wanted to reward him for basically sticking it out for the entire year and getting put on the shelf you know in the playoffs so um yeah. but um didn't turn out well for but us. uh struck out predictably <laughs> and uh but shinjo is back in baseball yeah yeah so yoshi shinjo is uh for he, he was he's talking about making a comeback he's probably now you're telling me that um that hideki matsui is only 47 i think shinjo is probably around that age and yeah. for a while there know. he was he was saying he had a, actually a flamboyant personality Right, yeah, he would dress yeah. flamboyantly, and he was always kind of a fun-loving kind of guy. And I, I'm pretty yeah, sure he was the life yeah. out of the party in, in his native uh, in his native Japan. But uh, apparently, he was joking about coming back to baseball, and people were thinking, "No, you, you weren't really that good when you were playing." Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it turns out he's back. All but right. he's a manager now. 
He's not, okay. he's not playing. He's a manager, but still back in baseball, you know, once you've got that baseball bug, if you can get a job in baseball, you can right. be, you can be in baseball forever. And uh, he was just named the manager of the Nippon Ham Fighters. Okay. One of the, one of the teams in the, in the uh, Japan league. And uh, I'll be rooting from afar for Shinjo. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't mind having a, a Shinjo jersey, you know, <laughs> from 2002. You rock the the jersey. That would be pretty pretty cool. Well, make sure you get the same the right size. I mean, one thing I learned when I was at the uh, the uh, Tokyo baseball game. So I wanted a a a, a souvenir from the game, right? Uh-huh. All right. And so opening day baseball, and they had T-shirts. That was the the cheapest cheapest thing. But that's great. T-shirt. It's got it says Tokyo on it. It says Major League Opener, and uh, the largest size was a large. <laughs> Okay, and so I had to go with the larger size, and I'm not a, yeah. I'm not that big of a guy. I'm six. You're feet. pretty tall. Though. I'm pretty tall. I'm six foot tall. I mean, American size, right? And uh, uh, their largest size just did not fit me. <laughs> did your wife get it? Did Did your no? I get still it? have so- it. I mean, it, it <laughs> You know, I think maybe when I get another twenty or thirty years, and I'm like eighty years old, and I start to shrivel get a little smaller, yeah, shrivel up a little bit. Uh, all of a sudden, the t-shirt will, will fit. All right, yeah, hold on to that. Hold on to that. Okay, so good to know. Get the extra, extra large. No, there, there is no extra, extra large. So you can't get it. <laughs> large is the largest. Oh man, and large is large is like a medium here. So good luck. Man, what do big guys in Japan do? I guess they have to get customized stuff. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, if there's anyone out there still listening to uh, two baseball nerds talking, we hope you're still out there. But I uh, hope you had fun with this episode. I, I learned something just doing the research. So hopefully you all out there learned a little bit about Asians and baseball. Uh, we'll be back next week with our Eternals wrap-up. We'll, we're going to go. So it's November 1st right now. And then So we'll go see the movie this weekend. And then we'll come back and record it and report it back to you. So hopefully... You'll come back for that. Um, that does it for episodes number four, side dish number four. Uh, thanks to my co-host, Justin, and thank you all out there for listening. Um, as mentioned, if you have any comments about, give us an a email about your favorite Asian baseball player if you got one. That would be cool. Uh, you can write to us at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com or you can always message us at our Instagram or Facebook at the infatuation podcast on instagram so i'll put all those details in the notes uh, more episodes coming soon like i said you're gonna see the eternals one coming next and then after that we're gonna do uh our sitcom issue uh episode finally our sitcom sitcom episode coming so check back when we drop that one in the end of november and so follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Justin and myself, we hope you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. Talk to you soon, and bye. Bye.